Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, if you would, grab your Bibles and take them out, please. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a seat close by in proximity in front of you. Black, hard-covered copy of God's Word. Please take that. Open it up to 2 Peter. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those home with you. It is so important, as we're going to talk about, as, as Pastor Brad mentioned, this, this living and active Word that God has preserved and given to us. It is so important that we are regularly in it and studying it and hearing from Him. 2 Peter, we continue our, our study of this second letter that Peter wrote, as we've mentioned, very probably written at the very end of his life, probably from a prison cell, more than likely in Rome, days, weeks, no, probably more than months away from his eventual execution because of the faith that he holds. And he continues as we've spent the last couple of weeks covering the first 11 verses. And in that, we talked about the blessings that are ours in God's economy, that the grace and the peace that come from him, they're multiplied towards us, multiplied in ways that we can't even begin to put together. And also in that, that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We talked about the fact that his glory and excellence has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. And last week we talked about the response that we are to have because of this amazing God that we have and the gifts that he pours out upon us, the blessings and the grace that we are to be actively involved, diligently applying those gifts that he's given to us. We talked about it, moral excellence and knowledge. We talked about that we are to grow in this and, and with that self-control and perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. But these aren't just things that, yes, they are, they are a response to what he's given, but then we talked about the fact that because we do that and when we do that, he blesses us even more. He gives us victory. He makes us fruitful. He makes us useful for his purposes. It, it, it says that if we do these things, we talked about this last week, verse 10, the promise that it will keep us from stumbling. And it, it talks about the, the reception and the rewards that we receive in eternity, the amazing promises that are in God's word. Well, as we continue our study tonight, beginning in, in verse 12, he says, therefore... Therefore, because of all of this, because of everything that we've just discussed, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, and also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Again, you can tell the way Peter is saying this, that he knows his end is near. He knows that this is coming. Jesus told him that he was going to give his life for this faith that he professed. And he knew that this was coming. And you can sense the urgency in his voice, can't you? Sense it as we're reading. He goes, guys, you got to get a hold of this you got to get a hold of this. But I, I notice that he says, I need to remind you. I remind you of these things. Why does he need to repeat? Why does he need to remind and reiterate these things? Was it because he was a, a poor teacher to begin with? 
No, no, Jesus oftentimes repeated himself and the greatest teacher of all. He says here, you already know these things. Not only do you know them, but you're established in them. These aren't just things that you heard. These are things that you've grabbed a hold of. You are established in these truths. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, 21, he says, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. John writes his letter saying, I'm not telling you stuff you don't already know. As a matter of fact, the reason I'm writing is because you already know it. But he's reminding. He's restating it. Guys, bottom line, it's not how much we know. It's how well we know what we know. It's not a matter of just accumulating knowledge and wisdom. It's how well do we know it. Any of you know a, a, a foreign language? If you know that it's true. If you, if you know a foreign language like Spanish or French or geometry, you know that, that if you don't use that, if you don't regularly use that, if it's not continually being reminded to you or brought to your memory, you quickly lose it. I mean, I got A's in math in high school. I, I was going to be a math major in college. And I struggle with helping my son with his sixth grade math right now because I haven't used it. It's not because we don't know it. I, I oftentimes, and I, I've shared this little exchange that I have with my kids with you before, but I'll tell my kids something and they'll say, yeah, I know. And my response is, I know you know, but go brush your teeth. <laughs> Put your seatbelt on. Wash your hands before dinner. We continually remind, even though they know, even though they're well-established in it. The, the television shows that we watch continually are interrupted by commercials. And doesn't it drive you crazy that they're the same commercials over and over? You've seen the same commercials 50 times, right? Why do they do that? Well, it's twofold. One, because it works. Repeating it over and over and over. I could start singing some commercial jingles and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not complicated. It works. But most importantly, the reason why they repeat it over and over is because they have competition out there that is also bombarding you with commercials. And they're making this claim, and the other product is making the same claim over here. I'll save you this much money if you buy this car insurance. No, if you buy this car insurance, I'll save you more money, and back and forth. And so that's why it's repeated. And I believe wholeheartedly that that's why the Word of God is repeated, and Peter is repeating this, because we are constantly bombarded out in the world with counter-truths to what God's truth tells us and reveals to us. I shared with you in the past, my, I, before I became a pastor, before God called me into this ministry, I owned my own business. I, was, I sold hot tubs for a living, and we'd have these, these uh, shows from time to time. The home and garden shows were the big ones that we'd go, and we'd set up these big displays and all this kind of stuff. And I worked with a guy who built barbecue islands and outdoor kitchens. I sold them for him, but he was the, the builder of them. And we'd be, we'd be setting up our booth. And one time I noticed he had this big plaque on one of his uh, displays, and it said, voted number one barbecue island in Phoenix. I was thinking, man, that's awesome. And I'm thinking, I, and so I went up to him and I said, who did you go through to get that? Because I'd love to get something like that that I could state. And he says, well, I asked my wife and my kids and one of my other guys, and they all voted. There doesn't have to be any substantial truth behind it to make the claim. And that's what the world is continually bombarding us with. 
these, these, these statements that, that you can find happiness, you can, you can be fulfilled if you go this direction, but Peter is saying, I'm going to remind you, no, the truth of God's word is truth. We need to stay focused on it. Why repeat and remind and reiterate? Well, verse 15 tells us so that we can retain, recall, and regurgitate. It says, and I will also be diligent that after my time of departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. I'm repeating them so that after I'm gone, you'll be able to repeat them. And you continue repeating them and you share them with your children and share them with others around you and continue to do that. Paul wrote, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. It's not a problem that I say these things again. As a matter of fact, every time I say them, joy comes within me. But it's also a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard to hear the same things again. It's a safeguard to read the same truths again. Safeguard literally means without falling. It's a security against stumbling. And again, if we go back to verse 10, we talked about the promise that we have. If we diligently apply these gifts that God has given to us, it says we will never stumble. And, and Peter is saying, basically in essence here, he's saying, I'm reminding you so that you don't stumble to remember to do the things that will cause you not to stumble. Hebrews 6 verse 19 uses this same word for safeguard. It says, the hope that we have is an anchor for our soul, sure and steadfast, a safeguard for us, this anchor for our soul. Well, he says something interesting in verse 13. He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, to stir you up. Again, interesting word. When we understand its use outside of what Peter is using it for, as a matter of fact, John used it in his gospel in chapter 6, verse 18, to speak of the sea when Jesus sent his disciples out in the boat and he later came walking on water out to them. It says in John 16, 6, 18, the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. The sea began to be stirred up. It was tumultuous. It was a big storm, big waves. The water was moving violently. And we know this, that, 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 that the water itself doesn't do anything. If you put your clothes in the washing machine, fill it up with water, even add the detergent, nothing happens. The clothes aren't changed at all until the agitation starts, right? Until the, the washing machine starts moving around, and only then do the, the clothes come out clean, regenerated, restored. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 24 said, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as, the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we studied through Hebrews, if you were here and remember, that word stimulate again is an interesting one. It means literally to incite or to provoke, literally to irritate, <laughs> to irritate. If you're riding home late, you've been, you've been, you, you went up and you were up in Flagstaff for the, the weekend and you're driving back and it's late at night and, and the driver of the car is kind of nodding off while driving. You're not going to say, excuse me, excuse me. You're going to say, wake up! 
what are you doing, right? It's to get your attention, and that is what is being called on here. We, we speak of, the, 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 the word tells us in Proverbs, iron sharpening iron. How does that happen? By just putting them next to each other? No. No, by <laughs> irritating, by, by coming in contact with one another. We're to think of ways to encourage one another. It's not, I don't mean try to find ways to irritate each other. That's not, that's not the point of what I'm saying. But what he, what he is saying is there's action involved here. So often, people want to have a James Bond type of spirituality. I don't mind being shaken a little bit, but not stirred. I don't want to have this this thing stirred up within me because I'm afraid of what that might reveal. I'm afraid of of what that might cause. And Peter is telling us here, guys, I'm doing this to stir you up because of the blessings that come from it. We We miss so much of what God has in store for us because we don't go that extra step. We don't desire this stirring within us. Interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 4. You can read it for yourself Later on, 2 Kings chapter 4, it's talking about the prophet Elisha, and a a widow comes up to him, and she says, I need help. My husband died, and he left us this debt to pay, and I can't pay it. And back then, if you couldn't pay your debt, you became a slave. You became a slave to the person that you owed money to. So she was saying to him, they've come and they want to make my two sons slaves, and if they go and be slaves, I'll have no one left help me. So Elisha tells her, and she says, all I have left, all I have left to give them, I I don't have anything else but a jar of oil. Elisha says, you go to your neighbors. You go everywhere that you can find, and you get empty jars. You get empty pitchers. You get empty containers, and you bring them to your house. house." And he says in verse 3, do not get a few. Get a lot. And then he says, when you get home with those, you close the door behind you and you start pouring from that little jar you have, filling up those containers. And she did. And one after another was being filled up from this little jar. And it tells us in verse 6 that she said, bring me another vessel to one of her sons. And he says, there aren't any more. At that moment, the oil stopped. And Elisha then told her, he says, now... Take that oil, and you sell it, and you pay off the debtor, and you keep whatever's left for your blessing, for for future, so that you have an income going forward. And I use that as an illustration for what I'm talking about here, about being stirred up, because so many of us in our walk are satisfied with the fact that the debt was paid. Jesus died on the cross. He He shed his blood for us to pay for our sins. And as born-again believers, that is a done deal. We place our faith and our trust in him, but we miss out on so many more blessings because we're just satisfied with that being done. Can you imagine what it would have been like? And it doesn't explain this in the story, but I can only imagine if there was a whole bunch of other pictures that they left out. And afterwards, when they realized the blessing that would have been theirs if they'd have just gotten a whole bunch more. And we miss out on so much. Because we don't continually work to be stirred to bring those vessels to be filled. We need to think of ways, as the author of Hebrews said, to motivate and encourage each other. It's in the the present tense. It's a continual action. 
And I would like to stir you up this evening to make some changes going forward. If you are in a spiritual rut, if you are, are just kind of satisfied with where you are, you are missing so much, so much. I would like to encourage you to get involved in a Bible study, get involved in a small group fellowship. I'd like to encourage you all to come out here tomorrow night, Sunday night, and bring your empty vessels because we're going to gather together here as a fellowship and seek God's face to see how he might pour out his blessings on us. We have prayer. We gather together for prayer on the first Sunday night of the month. So I'd ask you to pray about doing that. Now, when we do this, it's not, it's not an emotional thing. It's not something that we fabricate or we bring up. It's a stirring from within us. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not emotional. If look, look at verse 12. The key to it, he says, you have been established in the truth. The truth. The truth that Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, God himself stepped out of heaven lived a perfect, sinless life, and died in our place to take, to take our debt upon him. But he said that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. So we trust in him for our salvation, him and him alone. But his desire for us is to have an abundant life here and now, filled with his blessing. Now, Peter goes on in verse 16, to talk about this fact that it's not an emotional thing. It's not a made-up thing. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He's going back to an incident that happened where, where Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain with Jesus. And he was transfigured before their eyes in his glory. And Moses and Elijah appeared to them. And they were witnesses to this. He picks this one thing, but they were witnesses to so much. So much. Peter saw this for, for three years, this ministry, this, this God himself doing these things, these blessings that were coming out. He's saying, we didn't make this stuff up. They're not cleverly devised tales. Literally, that word means a fictional story to, to illustrate truth. But guys, myths are not truth. Today's equivalent would be like fictional movies, novels. They're not real. I mean, we do all know that there wasn't a real event that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Right? Even, even Christian-based novels that have been turned into movies, the Chronicles of Narnia and, and uh, what's the other one, the Lord of the Rings, have, have Christian undertones. But guys, there is no such place as Narnia. There is no such place as inner earth, middle earth. You do know that, Right? He's saying, we didn't, we didn't base this on this. This isn't cleverly made up stories to make us all feel good and get all excited about this stuff. And he's saying this because, again, we're setting up, when we get to chapter 2, he's going to start talking about false doctrine, false teachers. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, 
They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths, cleverly devised tales. He's saying the time will come. I, I know it was then now, but it, if it wasn't then, it sure has arrived now today. By choice, Paul is saying, by choice, people will choose to turn away from the truth and go to these myths. And, and Peter is saying, that's not at all what we have, not us. We did not follow them, but we were eyewitnesses. We were ear witnesses. We heard God from heaven saying, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. We saw it, we heard it, we experienced it. And in these couple of verses, 16 through 18, he uses the term we four times. We, we saw it, we heard it. And his point isn't too bad for you guys, we did, you didn't. No, as a matter of fact, I draw your attention back to verse one, speaking to us. We have received a faith of the same kind as theirs. And that faith that we have, that same faith that Peter is talking about, was not based on what they saw and heard. Now, because of what they saw and heard, that's not worthless. It doesn't mean that we just cast aside what he's, he's saying here. It helps us to defend our faith. I find great comfort in the fact that all of the apostles, all of the disciples, went to their death refusing to recount, recant any of these truths that are recorded for us in Scripture because they saw it, because they had the Holy Spirit within them. But there's a danger, there's a danger in relying on experiences, relying on our recollection of things, relying on that alone, because quite honestly, when we see things, when we experience things, it stirs up within us a desire to see more. Just seeing things doesn't produce faith. When we studied the book of Exodus, we saw that over and over again, how God delivered the Israelites, how he took them through the sea, how he provided manna for them, how he provided water for them, how he continued to provide for them. But the next day or the next week when things weren't going well, they, oh, if we were only back in Egypt. That, that didn't produce faith in them. If anything, it was just like, all right, God, what are you going to do to blow me away today? Memories are defective and selective. Anybody ever gotten lost because you were going based strictly on what you remembered? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, all, all the wives are like, right, right? And Peter's point in verses 16 through 18 isn't that this is what we hang our hat on, the experiences, what we saw and what we heard. How do I know that? Look at verse 19. He says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which we do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. I want all of you to look back at the text. If you have a New American Standard Version, notice the word so and made. They're in italics. Anybody remember what that means? That means they're not in the original text. Those words were added later by those transcribing the Bible to help it flow better, to help us understand it. But honestly, that changes to me the way the, the, that it's originally written. Take them out of the equation. We have the prophetic word more sure. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of translations that write it this way. And we have the prophetic word for a surer foundation. And we have more firm the prophetic word is another way. Peter is saying, we saw it. We heard it, 
but we have God's living word, and that's what we stand on. We don't stand on our recollection. We don't stand on those things that we saw and heard. Yes, that helps. Yes, that provides structure around, but the foundation of our faith is God's holy word, his prophetic word. He tells us that we would do well to pay attention to this land. We live in a dark and dangerous and deceptive place, this world that we, that we live in. And he says we would do well to pay attention, the lamp, the word of God. Jesus said in Luke 12, 35, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be dressed, keep your lamps. Those are written in the present imperative, which means it's a, to be a habitual practice. Guys, we don't know when our Lord is coming back. We don't know when he is gonna come for us and we need to always be ready. We need to pay attention, as Peter tells us. Dressed in readiness, applying all diligence, as we talked about last week, to these things that, that we have been given and to studying God's word, that your lamp is lit. It doesn't mean that this needs to be lit up. It needs to light us up. We need to be in it. We need to be studying it. We need to be moved by it. We need to be lit up. If you are looking for something to add to your daily Bible reading, one of the neat things, and it's certainly no accident in my opinion, that there are 31 Proverbs, one for every day of the month. And if I, I, I started the practice again and I'm reading Proverbs 1 on the first of the month, the second, well, guess what today is? The fourth. Proverbs 4, verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The world out there walking in darkness doesn't know what it is that's stumbling them, doesn't know why they're having all of these problems, doesn't get it. But we have the light. And when we are lit up by that light and we are walking in that light, we see clearly. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word, Lord, your word is that. Guys, do you realize what you're holding in your hands? You're holding the word of God. The living and active word, as Pastor Brad read, er, read earlier, his word is alive and it's active. It's a light to us. That is what you're holding. Peter says in verse 20, but know this first of all. This is of paramount importance is what he's saying. Underscored, underlined, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You are holding the very word of God in your hands. No prophecy. No prophecy of, is of man's own interpretation. Nothing that you, are, that you read in this is man's words. These are God's words for us. Prophecy. Every prophecy that was ever made in this book has already come come true. Those that, and so that we can stand on the fact that all of those that are pointing to future prophecies will come true. No other book makes those kind of claims. Only God can do that. And it's not just predicting the future, it's proclaiming the message. The very oracles of God, the very word of God, all of it, all of it. 
That's why we make such an effort, and that's why we go through his word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, in totality, all of it, the entire counsel of God. If you, don't, if you don't know, I'll let you know. We'll start it back up again this, this coming Wednesday evening. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Leviticus. We started in Genesis about a year and a half ago, working our way through the Old Testament. Every word, every verse, every chapter, every book. Paul wrote 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word. All, all scripture. And remember, all means all, and that's all all means. All scripture. Every bit of it is inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. Peter says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There are. 40 or so men that were, were used to write these down. Over a period of 1,500 years, different countries, different cultures, different languages. But there is one author, one author. These, these men that, that wrote this down, they weren't the origin or the source of God's word. They were an instrument or a channel. It's God's truth. It's God's message. It's his story. I love this, this word that he uses here, men moved by the Holy Spirit. That word was used to talk about how a ship was carried along the sea. Literally, the Holy Spirit is carrying this process of completing God's word through to its completion. When, when, when we look at that as, as a fact, that means there can't be any errors or mistakes here. This is God's word protected by the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a translation out there that translates 2 Timothy 3, the verse that I read that says, all scripture is inspired by God. And it says, all scripture inspired by God is. That's that's a huge red flag. That's saying that, so all scripture that's inspired by God is profitable. That means that the scripture that isn't, isn't. And that's extremely dangerous. But many people do that. Many people, even professing Christians, say, well, I, I believe most of it. But, you know, when it comes to, I mean, Jonah, really? Really? It spent, spent three days three, in, the, in the belly of a whale? Jonah, really? Well, Jesus believed it. Jesus said it happened. Creation. We've talked about this young and old earth. Really? 6,000 years old? There's no way. The earth has to be way older than that. No, no. In the beginning, God created. 6,000 years ago, roughly, creation happened. If it's not that way, if it is that, that some of it's inspired and some of it is man, who decides what? Unfortunately, again, those that teach that, those that move forward in that, they, they teach that the stuff that's inspired is the good stuff and the stuff that hurts a little bit, eh, not so much. See, guys... <laughs> We're not to judge Scripture. Scripture judges us. Scripture. God has preserved his word. He has kept this together for us. Nothing else explains why the Bible is still here. There's no other explanation. The enemy has been at work since the beginning to try to destroy God's word. The, the world around us, many people have said by, that, that this, this, this will be an antiquated book. This will be completely gone, yet it's still the number one best-selling book in the world. God has protected it. He's preserved it. 
And Peter, or Paul tells us that it's profitable. It's beneficial. It's productive. It's sufficient. All sufficient. Everything that we need. As Peter told us, everything that we need has been given to us for this, this life. The godliness, it's all here. It's been all given to us. It's all here. Looking again, back in verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I repeat that. It's no trouble to me. And it's a safeguard to you. Know this. Know this. Jude, verse 3, says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all. It's all here. There's no additions. There's no later things that are added to it. Everything that we need is right here. Right here in God's word. When people come to your door and knock on your door and say, yeah, yeah, we understand that, that, that this is God's word, but you need this in order to understand it. You need this magazine. You need this pamphlet. You need this in order to understand it. No, no. Commentaries, by the way, are, are good tools. But the best commentary on the Bible, you already are holding it. It's the word of God itself. If you don't know how to do that, if you have in, in your margins, there's cross-references. There's little letters above that. That, that, that. You look that and you go over here and you say, okay, and it tells you another scripture that you can go to. People have painstakingly gone through this to use so that we can utilize this one book because it's all in here. It's all here. It's why being in God's word daily is so important. So important. Reading it, studying it, getting, by the way, getting lost in the word of God is awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. There's times when I'll, I'll call my wife and it's like, you know, I've already taken the kids and dropped them off at the bus stop at seven o'clock and I'm busy with my day and, it's, and I knew that when, when I was leaving, she was gonna have her quiet time with the Lord and I'll call her 9, 30, 10 o'clock and I'll say, hey, so how you doing? How was your time with the Lord? She goes, oh, I'm still in it. She goes, I, you wouldn't believe where I am right now, you know? And she, and, and she goes through this, and she talks about how God has just so revealed all of these things to her as she's just reading through God's word. Paul, Peter tells, or Paul tells us, I'm sorry, that it's, that it's profitable, that it's sufficient for us for teaching, for teaching. He's not talking about the process or the method, but the content, the content. That's why, again, I, I've been called, I can't do anything else, to teach through the Bible verse by verse. The content is here. I have nothing to add to it. I have nothing to bring to it. I, I, we go through it verse by verse. The content, it's, a, it's profitable in that. It's profitable for reproof. That's the idea of correcting bad behavior, pointing out false doctrine. When, when we hear something, we can say, you know, I don't know if that's true. And I, I challenge all of you, don't just take it because I said it. Be like the Bereans. Go home this week and, and go into God's word and you, you verify that what I am saying up here is true. You hold me accountable to that. There should, 
the idea of reproof, if we spend time in God's word, there shouldn't be more than a day or two where we're not convicted of something. Because that's what it does in us as well. It shows us areas that we need to work harder in, that we need to focus in, that we need to surrender more. Correction literally means to restore to a proper condition. The end result of this is not guilt, it's repentance and restoration. For training in righteousness. Jesus said an amazing statement, short but so powerful. In his prayer to the Father, he said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When we spend time in God's word, Jesus' prayer is answered. We are sanctified as we spend time in his word. Sanctification, that process of becoming more and more like him. Adequate, equipped for every good work. Complete capable, enabled to meet the demands of righteousness. Again, we've talked about this. We can read through God's word and we can come away with it feeling like, man, that's too much for me. Yes, it is. But that's where we surrender to the Holy Spirit and we spend more time in his word. And in that, we receive the power and the direction to follow as we are to do, to fulfill what we're called to do. Paul Lastly, writes in Romans chapter 15, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The encouragement of the scriptures. We have hope. Again, not just, uh, man, I, I wish this happened someday. Hope, that rock solid, secure foundation that we have. The certainty that we have. Peter's, again, we're going to start getting into next week, into chapter 2, talking about false teaching, false doctrines, false things that are out there. He's saying, you got to be aware of this. You have to be prepared for this. And he says, that's why I'm repeating it again. Be in God's word. And I challenge you as I've challenged myself, I've challenged my family, and I will repeat this. (laughs) Be in God's word. Make it a daily discipline. If you say, man, I just, I don't have time. I don't have time. My day is full. I give you this challenge, and you come back to me in 30 days and tell me it's not true. You get up one hour earlier than you normally do right now. And you give that first hour to the Lord. And you come and tell me in 30 days if you're too tired. <laughs> you will find more energy. You will find, you will find that you receive your energy from God's word. Don't have time to pray? Get up earlier. Use that time for that. You won't miss it. You won't miss your sleep. One of my favorite, my favorite quotes, Martin Luther said that I pray, I make it a habit to pray for two hours every morning, except on really busy days, then I pray three. <laughs> he knew the secret. And, it's, and, it, and it is no secret. God tells us he will reward us for that time that we spend in his word. We aren't going to miss those things that we put off on that. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. So that we can recall things when when we need to. If If we memorize God's word and meditate on it, take it with you throughout the day. 
when you're, when you're driving to work, when you're, when you're in between phone calls, when you're, when you're taking, meditate on God's word. Continue to go over it and over it. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. Guys, again, if we would just embrace what we have in our hands, God's holy living word, and he didn't, he didn't keep it and preserve it so that he'd be the number one author of all time. He did it for us, for our sanctification, for our blessing. Father, we, we are amazed by you. Lord, as we just stand and, and, and reflect on your goodness towards us, on how you have preserved your holy word for us. Every word, every word we know is of you. We know it's of you because it changes lives. It blesses us. Lord, we want to be stirred by you. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today that is comfortable where they are, in their walk with you, Lord, that you would stir them up. Lord, let us never get comfortable or complacent, but let us continue to seek your word, to seek your truth, so that we are changed, so that we are molded more and more into your image. Lord, your word truly is a light. It is, a, it is a lamp for our path. Lord, the pathway in front of us is dark because of the world that we live around us. But Lord, as we walk forward with the lamp that you've provided for us, Lord, you light the way. Lord, give us boldness to share your truth in this dark world. Oh, Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.